It's the action, point no relaxing Straight from off the rails with your host, Mr. Patrick Show we attack, then defend and react Calculate the damage, then resolve in a snap Facts with this searing ember blade, leave no witnesses I just closed the combat chain and we winning this Listen, this the blaze, we ain't going scar for scar And I'm feeling like a hero, we ain't going call for card It's the action, point no relaxing Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Action Point. I'm your host, Patrick Shaw. We've got a fresh new panel of flesh and blood personalities, and I've got the oven preheated and ready for some hot takes. Before we get started, let's meet our panel. Uh, first, he is a real OG, one of the founding fathers of Fab content creation. You can see him casting Fab events all around the world. You can see him on the Living Legends podcast and, of course, making the content that has made him one of the most viewed channels in our game. Welcome, Kellen, a.k.a. Red Zone Rogue. Welcome to the Action Point. Hello. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. It is a, it's a real pleasure. Uh, you know, you're one of the, the pillars of the community. Uh, you've been around since the beginning, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, next up, they are a calling finalist, co-founder of the Rainbow Pitch League, and one of the game's longest tenured dash mains, Kiki Labad. Welcome to the Action Point. Hello, everyone, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I'm excited to see what we come up with. Yes, it will certainly be. Is this is this is a rogues gallery, if you will, of uh, hey. personalities. <laughs> Uh, next up, they are the captain of the Magnolia Pro Team and host of the Librarians of Solana podcast. Welcome, T. Tebow. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, T. Yeah, absolutely. Last but not least, a kindred ninja assassin spirit. You can see him making daily content about all things flesh and blood. And recently, Alpha Clash over at his channel. Welcome, Dylan, from TCG Talk. Dylan, welcome to the Action Point. Hey, Pat. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm happy to have everyone. This is how the show works. I'm going to ask the panel series of questions. For each question, they have up to 90 seconds to give me their opinion on the topic. I'll give them a cue when they're getting close, and at 90 seconds, I will cut them off. We'll go around the Imperial Warhorn, and when the last person is finished, we'll have an opportunity for additional comments or rebuttals, and then we'll move on to the next one. I'll give a point to whoever provides what I think is the best answer to each question, and the person with the most points at the end will have a couple minutes of a completely open platform and can talk about whatever they want before we wrap things up. All right, question number one. People attending pre-releases may have noticed a few things about what's in their packs. One being that it is really hard to find an adult version of their favorite Bright Lights uh, hero because they're a majestic rarity in the expansion slot. You may have also have opened a cold foil Evo equipment and been happy, but noticed that the Marvel symbol was on it, which is a much tamer in its marveling than, say, the Dragons of Uprising, Codexes of Outsiders, or Heralds from Dust Till Dawn. Starting with... Kellen, what is your take on these new quirks of Bright Lights packs? Yeah, so I'll talk about the hero thing first. I'm not a fan of making of them making the uh, adult heroes into Marvel or Majestics, especially since before we had them as tokens. So it feels like, you know, instead of it feels like they're taking stuff away from us, especially when you'd have those um, old school tokens from the first couple sets where you'd have one side uh, young and the other side adult. I thought that was really really cool, and also I don't know why. Um, you know, uh, adult heroes need to be, like, more rare than, like, young versions. Um, and then, like, the the Marvel thing, I'm not sure yet. I, I, I don't really know. I haven't had, like, my hands on the ones from um, 
from Bright Lights. I don't mind them having marbles in every set, especially if they like make sense. It can make them look really cool. But um, yeah, I do think they kind of like missed a bit, <laughs> missed a bit with uh, with Bright Lights. Um, I would like to see them do more um, really unique stuff like the codices in in future sets rather than just kind of like the hey look it's it's a cold full version of a card that already exists and maybe it has a slightly different border but other than that you could couldn't really tell um so yeah those are those are my basic thoughts i I'm, I'm, i feel more strongly about the 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 hero thing uh i saw it in uh dust till dawn too and i opened up like 25 boxes of dust till dawn and i didn't get an adult prism at all and it's like what why like i don't know and even then it's it's not like they're 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 valuable they still like sell for like not much on the secondary market it just makes people difficult to, to get them. Kiki, you are up. What do you think about adults, uh, adult logistics and the, and the uh, Marvels? Okay, so I actually opened a few boxes before I got on here. Um, it is release date in New Zealand. Um, and I didn't get any of the adult heroes, which is kind of disappointing for me. Um, I kind of agree, like, they should be accessible. Um, somebody did tell me that they don't affect the print run for the rest of the expansion Majestics, so, like, you'll still get the same number of those. So, at, at the very least, it doesn't take away from that. In terms of the pack structure with, like, the, um, expansion cards, including the legendaries, I kind of like that from a limited perspective in the sense that it means that no one's going to have that advantage of, hey, I opened a legendary, my equipment is just much better than yours, um, which is kind of neat. Now, in regards to the Marvels, they are kind of underwhelming, it, I do kind of like normal cold foils generally more than anything else. So I usually do err on the side of subtlety as my, like, kind of flex. But it is a little bit disappointing that the marbles, which up until now have been super flashy, aren't quite there this time. Um, now, was there anything else on it? Um, and then, yeah, I think overall a lot of it is just about, like, the limited format in terms of the pack structure. So, like not having access to the cold foils, the legendaries being in the expansion slot, like, that appeals to me from a limited point of view, especially because the set has such a heavy emphasis on limited as such. Yeah, that's what I got. T, you are up. What do you got? So I, I, I share the same sentiment about the adult heroes in the token slot, in the expansion slot. I think making them the rarity of a Majestic is bad. Uh, I think Kellen kind of had my opinion with just bring back adult and young on the same same card. I think that'd be cool. Or even just like some of them being fab-backed adult, fab-backed young in the in that slot. But the rarity on them doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. About the Marvels, uh, I wish they had some super cool double-sided tech going on like the dragons or like an alternate border like the codexes, some part of me. But the other part of me understands that you can't shy too far away from like a fab card and the codex has kind of started to do that where there are other games making it confusing to see or read or understand what the card is and if you put all three codexes together it's really hard to under to see like which one is which um so i think i think the the marvel cold foiling is nice on a lot of cards my personal wish is that cards like these evo equipment had a rainbow foil version so that you could have something that's a little bit cooler than just a base version without having to go all the way to Marvel cold foils or that something was slightly different more than just the border on these Marvels now. But mech fan, fan of mech cards, fan of the cards, fan of uh, Evos. So a little bit biased. That is okay. We love a little bias around here. <laughs> Dylan, last but not least, what do you got? So I'm actually glad that everyone was on the same shimmy with the box or with the majestics. I thought 
that was not going to be that case. Um, when it comes to the heroes, I do agree. I just, I, it's just the principle of it. Like coming from a marketing background, telling someone like, "Hey, you may open three hundred and sixty dollars USD worth of product and not be able to play the hero legally." That's a big feels bad. I don't think that should ever be the case. I could think, I do think to add to it, they could play around with it. Like maybe make non-foil box toppers like other games do. Like if they don't want to waste a token slot or they want to experiment with the token slot. Uh, or if they say, hey, if you open a case, you get a rainbow foil box top or something, right? Uh, just to mess with it, I think could be cool. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's an option. When it comes to the Marvel, similar sentiment. I do think like the term Marvel means unique, uh, so it needs to be unique, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be full art. I do say in a loving way, f uh, I think Fab fans are spoiled because we have had insanely crazy Marvels, like you mentioned. So. Yeah, as a developer, yeah, you have to keep upping that or feel like you're upping that, right? So it, it makes it really hard. Similar to like a video game developer year after year trying to do better and better. So I do think it, I'd give LSS a little bit of credit on that end. But yeah, I agree that they do need to be, um, if they're going to use the term Marvel, then it needs to be a term Marvel. And I think from a content perspective, one thing LSS has done really well is been really communicative. And I think they could, before sets, like without spoiling, they could be communicative on what Marvel means for that set could help. Uh, that's a that's a that's a good point. Look, all, all I really want is the the full art complete Exodia Iron Man for each thing that you can just put them together, call it a day. I'm gonna be happy. Uh, that point goes to T for being the adult in the room and uh, and really gut punching me with the Codex art is confusing uh, part there that really br brings it home for me. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the next question here. Uh, Lexi has been called the last bit of a problem created by Tales of Aria and pushing power level through the roof for some heroes. Everything from the ban suspended announcement uh, shows that it's basically built to ensure Lexi will LL during this coming pro, uh, ProQuest season. The implication is the power level of the game will be lower from that point on. Is the downturn in power these recent sets and presumably future sets uh, is that a positive or negative on the longevity of the game? Kiki, start off. Starts off. So I started playing this game back in Welcome to Wraith. It was a lot less powerful than it is now. Like games were grindy. Games would often go to second, third, maybe even fourth cycle sometimes. Um, and that's the kind of fab I grew up with and what I kind of enjoy. Um, the power has obviously gone up quite a bit with the more recent sets or the system of the last couple of years where you have these talents and you're kind of killing before you get to the second cycle, um, which removes an element of like strategy in this game. Um, so personally for me, I think it's going to be better for the game to kind of go back a little bit slower, a little bit less powerful, but conversely, like fab as a spectator sport can be kind of dull, especially when the games go quite long, something like Alexi, like rain Razor's three of a kind kind of turn is absolutely exciting to watch so i think it does cater different crowds um and it did bring a lot of more casual newer players in when we started getting these more powerful things so ultimately i'm not sure if it's going to be strictly negative or strictly positive i think gameplay wise it'll be a bit more ideal for what i want in the game and what a lot of people that i know want from a game but as for bringing newer players into it um, that's a whole different topic if the game becomes less exciting because you're not doing as explosive things as such. So maybe you need to find a way to be exciting without being that powerful. Something like Singularity, for example, is a very exciting card um, without being I'm going to win on turn 3, turn 4, turn 5 kind of thing. T. Uh, I think that's good and bad. Uh, in Magic, there's a long-standing phrase that is there are only so many ways to print a grizzly bear. 
meaning that if you have a card design, if you're trying to re-up on that design, there's only so many ways you can do it before you start power creeping really high. I think one of the hardest jobs for game development is to backtrack a power crept game. And now is the moment that we're starting to see that in flesh and blood the most. I think that sets like bright lights add cards to the game on a reasonable power level without torching an entire meta or the game itself. And that's incredible. I'm really looking forward to the future of fab through a version that LSS has a bunch of experienced veteran fab players taking hand in design for cards and sets so that we can see the game developed from players who have seen all sides of it the most powerful maybe a little bit scaled back in power so i think i think this is a good thing and a bad thing potentially it just ultimately depends on how lss handles it for sets going forward you'll have a little bit of dull moment and that's the bad but if it gets resolved positively then that's the great and it's well worth it <coughs> dylan what, what do you think about the power level here? So I, I like where the power level is going. To give context, too, I came into the game right before Monarch dropped. So I came in right when Chain was being Chain. Uh, and I agree with Kiki's points on players need to feel powerful. And Flesh and Blood's biggest strength is also its most horrible weakness is incremental value. There is very, in my opinion, there's less... All right, from an outside perspective, there's less design space, and they're going to have to get super creative in the long run to be able to keep the game interesting and exciting because those incremental values are so minute. But I do tend to like how they've gone down. I think they've gone down, honestly, since Outsiders. Like when we got Redback Shroud and Flick Knives, like all these other legendaries. I remember on, even on my, my content, people were like, this legendary sucks. And I'm like, no, it's just not Tunic. And it's not, you know, these crazy things you're used to seeing. So I like where it's going um it's just an old thought versus a new thought i do think players want to feel powerful in their game and i like that they're getting casual players into the game because i've had so many people come up to me like I w i'm like have you ever played this before and they say no and i'm like why and they're like it's just so daunting it seems you know so serious and so you know hard so i do want them to be able to print things where players feel like they're having fun Another way they could do that is stuff like the Tolarian Community College Kit, being able to give players just fun ways to play, right, and then keep the competitive at the competitive incremental value stage and not have to worry about, you know, keeping that uh, swingy, I guess is the best way to put it. Mr. Rogue. <laughs> All right, this is where I go off the rails a little bit here. Um, go for it. I do agree with most of what y'all are saying, but I think it's a it's a really nuanced question, and it could I could probably talk about it for like 40 minutes. So I think design philosophy has changed quite a bit since Brian Gottlieb has uh, started designing for Flesh and Blood. And uh, he's talked about it several times in like, uh, you know, posts and interviews where he really feels that Flesh and Blood players really aren't ready for the level of variance that they're going to be bringing into Flesh and Blood. And I think that is a hint uh, for things to come. I think things are going to be consistently less powerful but um, more power and variance. And you can see stuff like that with our, you know, Teclo Daddy here, where like once you can do it, he's really, really powerful and he has like these big splashy moments. And I think that's something that Flesh and Blood was kind of missing from a, like a viewer perspective for a while, where Flesh and Blood does have like this chip incremental value, you know, one damage here, one damage there, you know, block, block, block. Doesn't really have these giant splashy moments that like other games like Magic does. I mean, it, it had some, you know, here and there, but not as much. And I think they're leaning more into that going forward. Um, currently, I think we will still have some very powerful heroes post Lexi. We have like, you know, Icelander and Dromai. Um, and I think Dromai is like in kind of insanely powerful uh, compared to a lot of the other heroes in the game. Um, but I think it's a really interesting thing. And I think. Um, we're going to see more of this kind of design philosophy going forward. And another side note, I do know that Brian Gottlieb was disappointed in the power level of Prism um, 
in particular. So I think that could have been a thing where they had intended Prism to be a little bit more powerful than she ended up being. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's just a, a a situation where we just need to keep an eye on the new like design team because I think it's mostly just James and Brian right now, and then there's like the whole development team hammering out all the mechanics. So. That's all I have to say without talking about 40 minutes, 40 minutes about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is, uh, I guess for a magic comparison, is a, is a Homeland set either, has that already happened <laughs> no, with Dust no, Till no. Dawn? Uh, or is that needed? Or are we, are we worried that something like that might come around? As someone who actually played magic back then, because I'm, I'm much older than I look, we do not want a Homeland set. People will not buy. I'm young and I don't even know what that is. Well, People will not buy <laughs> the game. They, they, it will be bad. LSS will be you know, very sad because like no one's going to buy the packs. It is yeah. kind of the funny one. though because like in Magic there was Chronicles that like almost killed yeah. the game, yeah. and in Fab yeah. Chronicles like revived the game or made the game a lot more popular. Yeah. So maybe maybe a Homeland set wouldn't have the same impact in Fab that it would in Magic. I don't know. It's tough to say. If I can add one point to Pat, I think also Go for it. them saying that they're not going to be doing what supplemental sets anymore, and that in my opinion, I think they're going to go more class specific with their sets. Mm. That might change the power level too, because if we go just mech and then we do just assassin and you do just whatever the case may be, I don't know how crazy they'll get with it, but that could also affect power level. Because I think the last point I'll make is they're going to make it more siloed. Like you're going to be playing your class. You're not going to have these generic snatch and sync balloons in every deck and sigils. So I think that might affect power level too. Two, two quick things. I agree. I think there should be less powerful generics just in general, but. Um, just to do a small correction, uh, they haven't said that they will not be making supplemental sets, period. It's just that they're going to be doing much less of them much going less, forward okay. and focusing gotcha. more on... Because when I had Brian on uh, Living Legends last, they just said, hey, we want to make it so we can do whatever we want. So if they feel like a supplemental set could be good for the game, then they're going to do it. Okay. Um, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That one's going to go to Kiki because uh, a lot of people grew up playing uh flesh and blood with a single cycle and i don't think i don't think people were ready for oldham and they're still not ready for uh second let alone third and fourth cycles that, that is last, probably coming out i'm a cop don't make me do that yeah <laughs> last ditch ever hey yeah. it's <laughs> staple assassin it was, card it was a thing I need a tree All right. somewhere in my background. <laughs> All right. Uh, on to the next one here. LSS has always had a strong stance about playing the game in the flesh and blood. During the pandemic, remote webcam play became the primary way the game was played, and that evolved into several community-made testing platforms, the most recent being DraftFab that was recently shut down by LSS. Is there a compromise to be made with LSS and players where remote play in its various mediums are sometimes the only way they can play the game? T, start us off. So I've actually had discussions about this before with my friend Casey, who is a player that top aided one of the first callings, the Calling Austin back in 2019. Uh, they were telling me a story about how the first ever RTN was meant to be played on Tabletop Simulator. And it was officiated by LSS uh, through a company called Metrics Events, I believe. Uh, but the event was canceled like 12 hours before it started because there was an exploit that was found on tabletop. Um, and it was supposed to have like coverage and everything from LSS. And I think that more than shows that LSS is willing to have these widened opportunities for play. Uh, I think DraftFab in particular could be shut down like because it's a negative effect on LGSs possibly LGSs that carry product for fab and can't fire a local draft 
uh, can have like this negative connotation that fab isn't the game for their store or that it's not good in the area. So shutting down something like draft fab can regrow local scenes and get more people back into the store, which is the original intention of LSS. But there are medians like Talishar, which Talishar, tabletop, everything that allow people to play and test online still have meaningful games. I think this move in particular is just to get more people back into their into their LGSs, drum up more of a player base. Dylan, what do you got? Yeah, so this, this situation is really interesting because I, I came from two completely different worlds when it came to player. I originally started playing the game when I lived in North Carolina when I was getting out of the military, and we couldn't get an Eventifier. No, no chance. The most we ever had at my store was four, and we were the only store within... 80 miles that carried flesh and blood. Now I live in Dallas, Texas, where you can get in 20 armories in a week. And we have Brody Spurlock here, Brand Pat, like it's just insane. So I've seen both sides of the coin. I think draft fab was an issue because at least from my perspective, they LSS has wanted draft to be like on the fly, less preparation, the way they've done, like what print runs they've used, the big tournaments, what how they've shuffled packs. And I think that they're trying the mar- there's the PR marketing side to this. They want that mode to also be as like on the fly as possible so i think that's why they in quote quote targeted that platform um but to answer the general question i think online play is good for the game i can tell you right now as a working you know person with a partner and dogs and everything else like it's really nice to be able to play online in some form or fashion so i hope that that never gets lost because there are some people who just can't make it out to armories um but i do think that there are certain elements of the game they want to keep on the fly and in person at the very core and so that's the action they took but that's a complete outside perspective all right mr rogue what do you got yeah i don't have as much to say about this one i mean like regardless of philosophy this kind of stuff is going to happen. Like there's always going to be some sort of digital way to test and play the game. And it's been like this in trading card games for a very, very long time. There's like cockatrice and, you know, it's just, it's just going to happen. And LSS as a company can't really clamp down on literally everything or else they'll be seen as like draconian. Um, so like I personally genuinely believe in their, um, their mission statement and their philosophy and, you know, playing in person, um, playing, playing in the flesh and blood and supporting the local game store, the whole draft fab thing. I literally have no idea. Um, there's a lot of speculation on, you know, as to why they, you know, axed it. Some people, and I think this is a little more interesting. Some people are like, Hey, maybe it incorrectly represented the draft environment, um, and incorrectly represented pull rates. So it could like, you know, be seen as like a detriment or something like that. But, um, overall, I think, you know, I have nothing really against it if people want to do that kind of stuff. And I really feel for folks who like live in an area that don't really have LGSs uh, or if you just like kind of live in the middle of nowhere, or your flesh and blood scene isn't big. Uh, being able to, you know, experience the game and play it is, uh, you know, there, there's something to be said for that. And I know a, a huge, huge part of the community uh, engage with flesh and blood um, through that, you know, that, that, that way. Um, excellent. Excellent. Kiki. Okay. So I was playing during the tabletop simulator time. Um, and I wasn't going to be in that big event, whatever, but I was in a league during that pandemic, and LSS was pretty supportive of that at the time as well. Um, and I know they are okay with online kind of play. Um, what confuses me, well, what initially confused me and still kind of does is like how DraftVibe was taken down, but then the Talishars and the TTSs aren't, because LSS does have an emphasis also, if you're playing online, which they encourage, is through webcam play. So they have their own avenue for using their stock, and I kind of get it, you know, they want people to purchase their cards, use their real cards, etc. Um, I do think that it's unfortunate for those in those areas where it's hard to 
get a draft going. Um, one of the kind of speculations me and my friends were talking about were maybe with Worlds coming up, there's a Calling Melbourne coming up, and a bunch of Calling Taipei. Um, there's a whole bunch of big events coming up, and some of them will have limited events, whether they're side events, main events, etc. And maybe they just don't want the draft format to be as solved as quickly. Like, they want people to shine, the people who grind and put the work in. Maybe that was kind of one of their lines of thinking there as to why taking down DraftFab specifically um, happened. Um... Yeah, ultimately I do think the medium is kind of just what they've currently done. Like the kind of balance kind of thing where you can still play fab online and stuff. Um, if you need to practice your drafts, you can open a box and draft it yourself. But that is expensive. Look, I, I think the the reality of whether, whether or not uh, draft fab is there, uh, T and the Pro Magnolia team are going to sit in the house three days before the next big event and solve the limited format. Uh, anyways, they're just gonna just gonna do that. Uh, nature of the uh, being competitive. Uh, I'm gonna give that one to uh, Dylan for making me nostalgic for the days of webcam uh, times. Uh, you, you and I, I'm pretty sure it met when we were just hands in a play mat uh, with a webcam uh, coming down. Mm -hmm. Those were the days. All right, uh, we are gonna move right along to the next question. Uh, being a pro TCG player is the dream, and it is a damned hard dream to accomplish at that. Few people get to attempt it, and fewer, if any, can claim to make a living doing it. Recent tweet in the uh, Magic community gained traction with the rest of the TCG world regarding the failed EV of pursuing the dream of playing all over the world. <clears throat> What's a lesson that we can learn on setting expectations when we're trying to live our own play the game, see the world, dream. Uh, we will start with Dylan. Yeah, so this one's very similar to my other background. So I'm a marketing manager in like the esports and gaming scene. So there's a lot of people that are trying to make it there in the same concept, right? Like traveling all over the world, playing tournaments. Uh, and the number one thing we always tell other people like creators and players is you have to diversify your income. Like if we're calling a spade a spade, unless you are just winning every single event and you're cutting costs, you're not going to make money enough, uh, at least in my opinion, to play consistently for a long time. So you need to diversify that through content, through other means uh, to be able to like build yourself if you're wanting to go that route. Now, that's 10 times easier said than done. But for anyone that I guess... I'm going to use the term complaining, even though it's not supposed to be negative, complaining that they can't make money long term with this. If you're just going to tournaments and just trying to get through prize money, then yes, you're you're stacked. You're stacking yourself against it, like being able to do that. So being able to diversify your income is probably the number one thing. If you truly do want to make it a career, like start making content off of it, whatever the case may be, write articles, do something uh, to be able to help supplement, you know, when you're not possibly getting the return EV because, this industry, as big as it is, when it comes to competitive base, is still very, very minuscule compared to like other like competition-based industries, like traditional sports and stuff like that. Very good, very good, uh, Kellen. Yeah, I mean, like Dylan's one hundred percent right. So um, I'll peel back the curtains a little bit. So I am full-time uh, content. I'm not a pro player or anything like that, but I am full-time content. And diversifying your income is like the only way it works like i don't you know you can't just make all your money through youtube unless you're literally getting like hundreds of thousands of views a day um and so the same thing is true for like if you want to be like a professional you know card player you're going to have to like write articles you know you're going to have to maybe make videos or, or or do whatever um i i will also say that like 
the whole like play the game see the world thing is kind of like a um oh what's the right word for it it, it is it is kind of i don't want to say like a naive dream but man it's really expensive i can tell you going to all these events it's really really expensive and for me like it's really really hard for me to to go to an event and with without like working it it's like it's really difficult for me to just like go to an event for fun because you have to factor in like plane tickets you know food just everything that goes into it and it's just like a it's an absolute money pit and the only people breaking even are people like getting in top eight right like you're gonna have to win thousand plus bucks to like even pay for your like your plane ticket in your in your room for the weekend and so personally from on my side of things like if i'm not working an event if i'm not doing casting or coverage or got you know got invited um then it's like very very hard to justify and if you're one of those players playing in the event it's even more difficult because then you also have to win thank you kellen uh we're gonna move to kiki now okay so as a kid i always wanted to be like a pro card game player like i always saw the people playing in pro tours and stuff and i was like i want that to be me um as i've kind of grown up I've realized just how difficult it is, just how much work you have to put in, and just how expensive it is. Um, and, like, the grind towards that personally ground me down and kind of burnt me out to the point where I kind of realized that, hey, this is a hobby, this is for fun. Um, like, I still want to do these things without feeling like it's putting a pressure on me. So I guess, like, the main lesson I kind of took away from this experience was, like, changing my expectations, setting realistic goals, and not losing fact that this is a game, like, we do this for fun, like, I do want to travel, and I have traveled, I've top-edited a calling, I've went to worlds, I've done a whole bunch of things, written articles, just all these things I wanted to do as a kid, but just kind of setting my realistic expectations, and kind of realizing how much work is needed to go into it, and just knowing that some people are just going to have more advantages, whether they're in places where you have more opportunities, um, like, in the States, for example, y'all will have a lot more events than there is in New Zealand nowadays, and it's also a lot cheaper to travel around the States than it is to get to California from New Zealand. Um, so ultimately, it just kind of came down to that, knowing what is actually possible for me, um, and still just trying to enjoy the game for what it is, taking opportunities where I can, and not beating myself up about it. Like, we do this for fun. That we do. All right, T, wrap us up. So I actually have a story about this. I saw that thread and uh, I almost typed like an entire Google document to reply. And then I just stopped. And I'm really glad that this question was here because right before the pandemic hit, I actually quit my full-time job to play magic as a full-time job. Uh, And between winnings from those events and sales and writing articles and doing a Patreon and everything, I was supporting myself financially. Uh, But then the pandemic hit and deleted all that progress. And so it's important to think about how all of that can just be gone if a game takes a different direction or if something shuts down those events. Anything could happen for for looking at this as a career. Uh, Games have changed, too, since coming back to the public. Flesh and Blood does a, a stupendous job of supporting their players at large events in meaningful ways, like gold colds that cost them next to nothing to produce but help supplement income and uh, prizes for these big events. But it's super important to not get caught up in expecting to solely play a game as your only source of income. It's incredibly mentally taxing if you miss on an event that was money you were anticipating to win or lose a match that costs you $1,000 because it takes you down a prize tier. Uh, You can easily be too focused on winning for the money and not winning for the fun, just like Kiki said. Uh, I actually fell out of love with magic because of the stress I put myself in. And I had to do so well every week or it wasn't going to be uh, a nice dinner that Friday. So 
it's important to not put that burden on yourself while traveling and having fun. Very true, very true. <clears throat> I find that uh, the EV is especially low when you grind really hard but still suck, which is my problem. Uh, I can't can't seem to can't seem to get into the winners bracket. But I, I keep spending money trying. I don't know what it is. Uh, T, you're definitely going to take that one. That was uh, that's a that is a good answer going there. All right, we are rounding the bases to home plate here. Uh, we've got one more uh, question here, and it is the hardest one of them all. Of course, it is. All right, uh, Tulare Community College and LSS have introduced round the table an entry level UPF product that looks great for bringing new players into the game. The world is our oyster, and we can get any three people in the world at a single table and teach them how to play some flesh and blood. If you could bring anyone to the table, who are the three people you would choose to sit with you? Red Zone Rogues, start us off. Oh no, you you picked me first. This is the one that I was like, I'm not I'm not entirely sure because to be to be completely honest, most of the people that I would already play and I've already become friends with them. So like people would be would be stuff like uh, the professor or even other like content creator friends uh, in the card gaming like like Pleasant Kenobi who also who also plays uh, Flesh and Blood a little bit. Um, I mean, to be to be completely honest, on like a really personal level, not on like the really big scale level, it would just be like some of my local friends here, people that I you know knew who um, from my previous job before I went full time content, who just didn't really get into card games, who played Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that, who I know would really love Flesh and Blood. Those are the kind of people who I'd want to teach and learn, you know, teach how to play Flesh and Blood because I think those kind of people would really really enjoy a lot of like the hero based aspects of it, especially since the game doesn't really play much like other like unit based card games it's it's significantly different so i guess my answer is more general and that would be just like you know non card game players people who are into like ttrpgs like uh, dungeons and dragons and that kind of stuff um if you want like the celebrity names um i'm not sure <laughs> to, to be completely that's okay honest, that's okay no pressure no pressure hey, hey that's at, all at some point when you start meeting a lot of people you just realize everyone's just a everyone's just a person and everyone's just kind of kind of cool so yeah love the attitude all right kiki okay so i picked three people that i've never met <clears throat> but i would love to meet so that's kind of an excuse um, but I also kind of like based it off like their energies in public kind of like I kind of tried to pick celebrities as such that I think would enjoy the game and bring a positive fun vibe to it and then I kind of brought it to three important aspects of my life as well so the first one is I'm a big fan of professional wrestling and I would pick Kenny Omega from AEW to be my first pick he's a massive nerd and like he loves fighting games and like I think he'd get really into it he's a really smart guy um, second would be from basketball. I'd pick Russell Westbrook. He's like really chill. He's got fun energy. Um, and he's also a really cerebral type of player and also really passionate. And then thirdly, I love cooking and also I'm Asian and I love his humor. So I would pick uncle Roger as my third. Um, yeah, I, it'd be a really unique group, but I feel like there'd be a lot of laughs there. A lot of fun. All these people are pretty smart and witty. I think it'd be a great time. Um, if I had to pick, or if I could pick three people that already play the game, I'd pick Carolina, Frank, and Jason Lai. They're my Ludicolo family. But outside of that, three people I don't know who don't play the game as far as I'm aware, it would be Kenny Omega, Russell Westbrook, and Uncle Roger. 
Very good, very good. Did you see Shayna Baszler yes. and Xavier Woods got classic battles from playing it in the store in California? I was freaking My out. First thought All was right, Xavier Woods, and then I remembered he already plays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right, uh, T. Who are you bringing to the table? So this felt really like a last meal type of question, but uh, I wanted to come up with a meme answer and a real answer. So for my meme answer, I had to, of course, choose uh, former President Barack Obama and two copies of Matthew Folks. Uh, and, then for, and then for my serious answer, uh, for, I, I wanted to throw in the professor because I think it'd be really cool to play a game with Prof, especially one where he gets to play Fab as himself. Uh, I've never met Prof in person, and I think that'd be really cool to play the game with him. Uh, secondly, I wanted to put in John Darnielle, who is the lead singer of the Mountain Goats, uh, one of my favorite musical groups, and he's a big card game nerd, plays a lot of magic. I think it'd be cool to introduce him to Flesh and Blood. And then finally, in even in my uh, serious answer, I wanted to put Matthew Folks in there. Uh, people dunk on him a lot for being this super competitive player, but testing with him a lot and like meeting him and learning about him as a person, he's actually a really cool guy. Down to earth, brings a ton of raw energy, and he's really fun to game with. So... That's my that's my three lineup is Professor John Darnell and Matthew Folks. <clears throat> we stand Matthew Folks in this house. Dylan, what do you got? Yeah, this was so hard. I was like, should I do this serious? Should I be funny? So I'd kind of I don't know. I went with people that just came to my head. So one was a TCG player, True Champion Steven, who doesn't make content as much anymore, but he's really big in the Digimon community. And he's one of my favorite card game creators. He just has a really positive energy. He's really good at the games he plays. I just I try to pick one creator that I don't think plays Flesh and Blood that I would like to see play Flesh and Blood. Um, he doesn't make as much content anymore, but definitely check him out. He has like 27K subs. He does a really good job. Uh, as far as a RAM person, uh, Matt Mercer from D&D, like, I would like to see his – I would want him to play and then give his storytelling to some hero or make a hero or do some type of collab because he would be really funny uh, with his background both from a play perspective and like his take on the lore I think would be kind of cool. And then for the cerebral side, I picked Magnus Carlson for chess. I would want to see someone with that much of – like pattern recognition and incremental value recognition to be able to then play a card game. Like maybe not once I would like for him to play the card game for like three months. Cause someone with his brain uh, would be insane. Um, so like three random people, but that's who I picked. That is a, okay. Uh, that, uh, Carl Magnuson, that's a scary, that's a scary thought. He, he feels like he would absorb this immediately and just close it up. Yeah. <laughs> There'd be a, no more, no more competition here. All right. That is, uh, that's going to do it for our questions. The winner of today's episode is T. Tebow squeaking it out. Uh, just over, uh, just over everybody else, but you got, you got one more than second place. So, uh, the floor is yours. You have two minutes up to two minutes to say whatever you like. I didn't think I'd get this far, so I'd like to thank the Academy. Uh, I'm going to throw this one out to my mom. Um, no, I really enjoy Flesh and Blood as a community. I'm really happy to be a part of it. It's by far my favorite uh, card game that I've ever played, my favorite community I've been a part of. I'm happy to call this my main card game, my main game in general. I spend a lot of time playing Flesh and Blood and talking to people about Flesh and Blood and thinking about Flesh and Blood 
we have a running joke in our team where we'll be up until like three in the morning thinking about the 0.001% blue choices in our Lexi deck or in whatever the deck is. And this is the first game that's really got me actually doing things like that, where I'm thinking about it from the moment I wake up till the moment I go, go to sleep. Um, and I'm really happy to, to be a part of things like this, where we just get the community together four people who or five people here who all love the game and just want to talk about the game and answer questions like around the table where we talk about who we would love to introduce the game to. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm happy to be here, happy to be part of this community and happy that everyone is here. So. Awesome. I can definitely appreciate that. All right. That is going to do it for tonight's episode. We're going to go around and, uh, give everyone an opportunity to plug their stuff. We want to know where you know what you got going on, where we can find you. Uh, Mr. Red Zone Rogue, can you start us off? Where can we find you and what are you up to? Oh, hello. Uh, you can find me at Red Zone Rogue basically everywhere. Uh, at Red Zone Rogue on Facebook, Twitter. I refuse to call it X. Uh, and YouTube. <laughs> um, and I also have an Instagram and stuff. I, I don't really check it all that much. If you want to contact me, mostly just through Twitter or uh, on YouTube. I mostly cover Flesh and Blood, but I'm currently playing like five card games right now. Yeah, I just really love card games. And uh, yep, that's me. It is, it's a good time to play a lot of card games right now. All right, Kiki, where can we find you? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter, which is where I'm mainly at. Um, so that's at Kiki underscore LA93. Um, I guess I have a Twitch where occasionally I open boxes. I might start working on that at some point soon, hopefully. If I can figure things out, um, that is Kiki Bird. If you somehow find me on YouTube, you can go watch videos of me playing rhythm games. Um, but I won't put that out there. That's up for you to find. But yeah, you can find me <laughs> at Twitter, at Kiki underscore LA93. Excellent, excellent. T. Tebow, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter, at T-E-E-C-G Gaming, T-C-G Gaming. I talk a lot about Magic and Flesh and Blood on there, and how much better Flesh and Blood is than Magic. Uh, and then you can find me on YouTube with my Librarians of Solana podcast, and I'm currently working on something that will help new players with hero recognition and construction patterns. So hopefully we'll have some of those out soon. And of course, an excellent book choice. There you are. All right. All right. Excellent. Uh, and uh, Dylan, what, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, Twitter, it's TCG underscore talk. Uh, and then same thing with YouTube. It's just TCG talk YouTube. Uh, those are the two main places I'll hang out Twitter. You'll see me ranting about car games and then also esports stuff. Uh, totally out of left field. And then YouTube. Yeah. Mainly cover flesh and blood, a little bit alpha clash lately. And then red zone rogue is, I swear, trying to get me into every other car game right now, <laughs> no, but been getting into some other stuff. So it's been really fun. Uh, but yeah. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me on tonight's episode. <clears throat> for the audience, you are watching slash listening to The Action Point. The Action Point theme was written, produced, and performed by Griff. The podcast audio stream is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more streaming platforms. Head over to X, formerly Twitter, and follow us at Off the Rails TCG. Then ho head over to YouTube and subscribe to us there. Don't forget to like, comment, click the bell notification for the latest OTR cut. 
OTR content coming out all the time. OTR is a free to join Discord. Click the link to join in. Be the first to see new content as well have a hand on how the show is made. Uh, shout out as well to my team, the Tavern Brawlers. Head over to the Brawlers Discord where you can sign up for all sorts of weekly and monthly events for some of your favorite TCGs, including Flesh and Blood and Alpha Clash. Be on the lookout this winter for the second annual Tournament of Judges. That is going to do it for us tonight. Thank you again, everyone, for joining me. And remember, kids, it's more it's fun the action. Off the Point, rails. no relaxing. Straight from off the rails with your host, Mr. Patrick. Show we attack, then defend and react. Calculate the damage, then resolve in a snap. With this ear and ember blade, leave no witnesses I just closed the combat chain and we winning this Listen, this the blaze, we ain't going scar for scar And I'm feeling like a hero, we ain't going call for call It's the action, point, no relax